Hey Geekscapists, I'm here with Keith Robinson from Intellivision, which is pretty awesome. Uh, we're here on the Kamikaze floor, and Intellivision has a whole setup where you can actually go and play some of the old Intellivision games, right. at least from my childhood. I know, <laughs> I know being 33, which is kind of crazy, being 33, and already there's uh, an entire generation of gamers that didn't know about even... The original, they didn't even have original NESs in there. Right, right. But Keith, uh, what was your introduction? You were one of the original programmers for. Yes, the I started at Mattel in 1981, designing the games. In what year? 1981. 1981, you started yes. designing games for the Intellivision yes. system. Mm -hmm. And Mattel made this video game system. Which right, the Atari 2600 was the f was really the big thing that came out uh -huh. mid 70s. And then Mattel, biggest toy company in the world, said, gee, we should have something to compete with that. And so they developed the Intellivision. But there wasn't any uh, idea that Mattel would just make games for the Atari. They wanted their own system. Right, sure. And there was no proliferation between the two. No, uh, not initially. Okay. Initially. See, originally there wasn't even that uh, belief that you could legally do that, that you could design a game for another person's platform. It really was Activision that came along later with people who had started at Atari. And Activision came along and started making games for Atari that they actually went to court and said, the court said, oh, yeah, you can do that. Wow. Yeah, wow. and so then, then we started making games for Atari. Started, Atari started making games for Intellivision. Everybody started making games for each other. What were some of the uh, classic games? that and You were the programmer on a lot of these games. What mm -hmm. were some of the classic games that you helped design? Uh, oh, I worked on a game called Tron Solar Sailor. We had three of the games based on the movie Tron back then. Wow. And I designed one of those. And then I went on to manage. There was a game called Shark Shark that was very popular. I was manager on that. And uh, then a couple of other games that didn't make it out from Intellivision, from Mattel. But then a couple of years later, the company that bought the rights came out with them. Thin Ice, Hover Force, some of these later games. And what was it like? What was the climate like uh, working in something new like home gaming that had only been around arguably not even right. 10 years? Oh, yeah, yeah. The... Um, the initial uh, home games didn't start until 1971, and even then, when they started, they were hardware. You uh -huh. had to be a hardware designer. They were all, all of the design stuff was done by the chips. There were no computers in the early game systems. Even the, even the arcade machines didn't have computers in them. That didn't come until the mid-70s. <coughs> so the Fairfile, Fairchild Channel F was the first home machine that had a computer in it, then the Atari 2600, and then we did it with the Intellivision. But, uh, you know, all of us who were designing games, we didn't grow up with games. Nowadays, everybody, you know, grew up and there were such things as video games. But back then, there weren't. So when we were designing games, we were, you know, it's new territory. How do right. you design a game? How do you let people know? How do you put icons on screen and stuff? And arguably, you can say that what we developed then in terms of how do you get how do you get things in the corner? How do you get people to look at how do you make different areas? Right. Is now how the internet came about, how the web came about, and everything today, everything in life, pretty much. But you guys were is, creating a new language, right? A new exactly. Visual yes. Language that right that now people know and see. Still, somebody like me, who's now fifty-seven. I pick up these games, and I have to intellectually think about how to play them. But I play against a kid who's like 10 or 11. He picks up, and he intuitively knows how this works, where the power-ups are, where oh, the timing of things. Oh, if I come in here at just the right time, this is going to show up or something like that. Uh, there are games that we developed at Mattel that I've been playing since 1982, and I play against somebody who's 10 years old who's never seen it in television before, and he's beating me within 10 or 15 minutes because he knows the language of video games. That's incredible. Yeah. Was this something that during the 70s, before your job at Mattel, you wanted to get into? Or was it something you fell into? I kind of fell into it. My, really what I wanted to get into was movie effects, and that's why I was working in special effects for film. And what had happened was I'd been uh, talking to the people at Information International that were working on the movie Tron at the time, and then when I went and met some people from Mattel, they were looking for somebody to program a Tron video game, and 
You said maybe hey. that'll get me in the door, and now here you are, and you're you're, you're still working with television. Yeah, thirty years later, what, what, ne never had planned that, but that's how it worked out. Now, if there's a younger gamer or somebody in the audience who mainly only knows like Xbox, PlayStation, something mm -hmm. like that, but wants uh, wants to know what television is all about, <laughs> do you guys still make stuff for them? Do you guys still make some maybe built-in controller? with a bunch of programmable games or right games. we've we've been wanting to keep the games alive um, initially we did it just for the nostalgia for the older people to say remember these games back yeah. then but that then we found me. out that a lot of kids liked the games people who had never seen it before these kids uh, we actually uh, gave it to a, a, a newspaper editor to review it uh, over the ho over the Christmas holidays back in 1988 and uh, or 98 uh, 1998 I guess was anyway he came back to me after the holidays and said my kids were playing bowling all weekend. Wow. It's like bowling? They were bowling. playing bowling on television, but they, they loved it. They, uh, the, the quick, fast games, addictive and uh, very fast to learn, and you play for five minutes, and hey, I want to beat that score again. Um, casual gaming, just the kids were really into it. So we found that there was a market beyond just nostalgia. So we've, we've made collections for the PlayStation 2, for uh, Xbox, for GameCube, um, the DS, yeah. PC, Mac. Um, so we have the, the emulated games. We have plug and plays, which you put batteries in it and plug it into a TV set and you yeah, go to town yeah, playing yeah, on it. So, an yeah. entire catalog of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every, pretty much, and we're on the iPhone and the iPad. And pretty much every time a new platform comes out, we try to get there. And what we're doing now is we're also kind of upgrading things. We have some new games that were just announced. Yeah, I mean, yesterday was literally the first time it was ever shown um, some games for the um, PlayStation Home. And, and they are, are new games. Well, they're the old the games, old games, Astro Smash, but we call them Gen 2 games because they, they are still simple. They yeah. still kind of are blocky graphics. They kind of have that nostalgic feel to it, but they use the, the features of today. So and they're really new games. You Home and you can play them today. Not yet. Okay. But they will be there probably by November, October, November they'll be there. That's incredible. But we, we announced them yesterday. Sony announced them, and, uh, and we have them in the booth now so people can play. So there's no fear that these games will ever be obsolete? No. I mean, it, it seems like... They're fun games. I mean, it's, it's, they're not just, it's not just nostalgia. It's people... Yeah. people they're, they are good games. They, uh, they are the basis... I mean... The most complicated games today, you can look at the, the history and where they come from, and these, this is the basic thing. When you go back to these games, this is where the, the basic fun comes from. So, final question. Yes. What makes a fun game? What makes a good game? Well, any, any game, and pretty much any sport, anything in life, really is a challenge, an obstacle to get around, and then a reward once you've done it. So, it's all obstacle, reward, obstacle, and reward. That's what a game is. You've got an obstacle, a challenge, you've got to beat that, and then your reward. And the reward's got to be big enough that you still want to give it, and the obstacle can't. The obstacle's got to be challenging enough that you are challenged, and then the reward has to be good enough to match what your challenge was. Right. But it can't be too challenging, you're going to get frustrated. Right. So a good game has to be just right balance of a challenge, but not too frustrating, something you can get through, and then when you get through it, a reward that makes you feel, oh yeah, and I want to keep going on to the next thing. And you guys also started this whole thing about multiplayer gaming. You could have different way back people, then, yeah, yeah, different yeah. people in, in a living room playing games together. Right. And I guess that has its own culture to it. Its own. Yeah. Its oh yeah, own. some of our games back then at Mattel, we had a horse racing game, and you could play six people could play at one time. Wow. Could be betting on their horses and everything. <laughs> and thing start. So yeah, we tried at Mattel. There were a lot of games like that where we that tried was the first to say Halo that horse racing. <laughs> yes, <indeed. laughs> but. Um, 
know, that was the thing. It was the for us, it was the sports games that really started in yeah. television uh, on the track. But then we got into the space games and stuff, and so we had millions of people playing. So it was, it was pretty. It was an exciting time back then. So today, people can find your games on sometimes maybe the PlayStation uh, Marketplace, or at least in PlayStation Home coming up in November. PlayStation Home on Xbox. If you go to Xbox Arcade, they have uh, downloadable games yeah. now. Uh, Xbox on demand on your iOS system, and it's in there on on iPad and iPhone. You can go and search on Intellivision. You'll find us there. So that's incredible. We're out Is there. Is there a website? Oh yeah, IntellivisionLives.com. And there you have it, or, folks. Or IntellivisionGames.com, or if you remember AstroSmash, AstroSmash.com. All of them will get get you to us. So that sounds awesome. So I, I welcome both old gamers and new gamers alike. To check out IntellivisionLives.com. IntellivisionLives.com. <laughs> that is awesome. And like I say, sometimes people can't don't even know how to spell Intellivision. Just go to AstroSmash.com. AstroSmash.com. And that that'll get incredible. to us. That'll get to us. So. That's awesome. Keith, thank you so much for joining us on Certainly. GamesCape. You bet. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to come over to your booth a little bit later and okay. play some AstroSmash. <laughs> yes, we have four, four uh, Intellivision set up. Plus the um, plus the PlayStation Home stuff, and plus one of the uh, plug and plays. Awesome. So we've got we've got uh, five different things set up over there. Awesome. Thanks yeah, so much. You bet.